Hello all, it's Kay Did, your host on Hair Voices. Welcome back to one more week of the podcast. Thank you for coming down. So today we have a special segment. Um, I did an event the other day on Zoom, and this is going to be the recording of that, guys. You're going to hear many voices you haven't heard before, but I hope you can hear again. Another person who works on a podcast with me, her name is Rhonda. She's part of this event and is talking about homeless issues, as you know. So sit back and relax. And also, guys, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. The information will be down below. And sit back, relax, and enjoy yourself. See you in the next one. Hello, and thank you all for joining us today for Home for the Holidays, Ending Family Homelessness in New York City. We have a great program for you all. And to kick off, I want, I'm excited to introduce Vicar Father Michael Bird. What a treat it is to start the day with um, Andrew Day in common. I didn't expect it, but I loved it. Good morning and thank you all for joining us today as we discuss one of the most pressing issues facing New York City, family homelessness. My name is Father Michael Bird, and it's an honor to be here on behalf of Trinity Church and in partnership with the Family Homelessness Coalition, representing advocates, experts, and service providers dedicated to shining a light on family homelessness in New York City and to advance policy solutions to end this crisis. Trinity Church seeks to end the cycles of mass incarceration and mass homelessness in our neighborhood, New York City, by supporting great organizations like the ones that are part of the Family Homelessness Coalition. I am especially grateful to be joined by New Yorkers who have experienced homelessness firsthand and who are lending their voice and their insight to help shape the future of our city. When most New Yorkers think of homelessness in New York, they typically think of single adult men sleeping on the subways or on the street. But in reality, the majority of New Yorkers struggling with homelessness are families with children, many of whom are under the age of 12. Even before the COVID-19 pandemic, almost 70% of shelter residents were represented by women and children. And as we have all witnessed, the pandemic has deepened housing insecurity and exacerbated race, class, and gender-based inequities pushing thousands more women and children to the brink of homelessness. The need for transformative policy solutions to finally end family homelessness is more urgent than ever before. We as a city have a moral obligation to solve this crisis. And today you will hear from experts with specific ideas on how the next administration can make that a reality. To delve into these issues further, I'm now pleased to turn it back over to Rebecca Charles, Policy and Advocacy Associate at Citizens Committee for Children of New York, a co-convener of the Family Homelessness Coalition. Thank you, Father Bird, for the introduction and thank you to Trinity Church for your partnership. My name is Rebecca Charles with the Citizens Committee for Children. As Father Bird said, um, families with children represent roughly 70% of the New York City shelter population, and most of these families are headed by a single mom of color. Many are fleeing domestic abuse to protect their children, 
and themselves, which can create significant challenges to a child's mental health, physical well-being, and education. But New York City is on the precipice of major change with new leadership on the horizon, and ending our family homelessness crisis must be a part of the immediate future. At FHC, we look forward to working with every level of government for a, a more progressive New York. We are extremely excited to present today's programming and introduce to the audience some inspiring individuals brave enough to share their journeys of lived experience with us today. Before we dive into our session, I do want to show a clip from FHC's Portraits of Hope. I think New Yorkers think of the guy or the lady on the train platform when they think of homelessness or sleeping on the train or just on the street. You know, certainly don't think it's me <laughs> or you or anyone else, you know, that looks like us. They don't think it's us. Being homeless doesn't mean I don't have any clothes. It doesn't mean I don't have any hygiene products. It doesn't mean I don't eat. It just means I don't have a house that I can call a home. Homeless can really be a person that we see every day at work. And we may not know people's situations and know we may not know people's backgrounds, but you never know that one person could be going in and out of the shelter every day. I am now excited to introduce Gabriela Sandoval-Riquena, who is a senior policy analyst at New Destiny Housing, a co-convener of the Family Homelessness Coalition. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Each and every day, my colleagues and I meet children and their families that are put in impossible situations and hold an insurmountable amount of bravery for taking the next steps to a better future. As the previous speakers have mentioned, Family homelessness has been an issue in this city long before the pandemic. And our city is right now in a unique position to make the appropriate changes in order to end family homelessness and do right by children and their families. I am excited to introduce the next portion of our forum, which is a roundtable discussion with individuals who will speak to these issues from lived experience. This portion will be moderated by Jean-Marie Evely, the current City Limits Exec Executive Editor and veteran Metro reporter. Having served as reporter producer at DNA.info and reported for community newspapers in the Bronx for several years. Thank you, Gabriella, for that introduction. I appreciate it. Um, hi, everyone. As mentioned, my name is Jean-Marie Evely, and I will be moderating the, uh, the forum discussion portion of our um, panel today. Um, on behalf of City Limits, I'm so excited to lead this panel and also to be joined by the three exceptional resilient women who are going to be sharing their journey to find stable housing in New York City with us. Um, so I'll introduce those panelists right now. Um, joining us today, we have Martha Avila, a mother of two and domestic violence survivor who spent over six years in the shelter and transi transitional housing system. We also have Family Homelessness Coalition fellow, Hear Our Voices podcast host and mother Kadisha here with us today, as well as Rhonda Jackson, who is also a fellow and a mother who's experienced homelessness when she returned to New York City and has been an advocate for families like her own. Um, welcome to our panelists and thank you for being here today. Um, I'll start with my first question. Um, if I can start with you, Rhonda. 
Um, can you tell us a little bit about your personal story facing housing insecurity here in New York City? Um, what led you to homelessness? Good morning, everyone, and thank you for um, being here today. So what led me to homelessness was actually 9-11. Um, in 9-11, that's when my journey began. I was a station agent, station agent 429409 with MTA, underneath the World Trade Center. Courtney Street was my station. Um, I was on my way to work. My job blew up. I lost my mind. I packed up my family and I left the state of New York. I ran to North Carolina where I thought we would be safe. But um, I never expected or even thought that what I would be going through being homeless, I didn't, <laughs> there was no way for me to know what was going to happen while, you know, being homeless. Thank you. So, um, oh, okay. As I say, but if you had anything to add, please do. Oh, I was just going to say that my housing insecurity actually um, didn't happen until after I got housing, but I guess we'll get back into that because housing security is actually a theory and that's what we need to be working on today. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you so much for sharing that backstory. I appreciate it. Um, and I would love to ask, um, my next question would be for Martha. Um, similarly, um, is there an aspect of family homelessness in New York City that you wish the general population better understood? Martha, quisieras o que le dirías al público general sobre las familias sin hogar que ahorita no que están en Nueva York? Le diría a aquellas personas que nunca han estado en shelter que la razón principal por la cual las familias van a un shelter es la violencia doméstica. Le diría que esas personas que están en una situación de abuso, que estar en un shelter no es malo. So I would say that for those people who have never been in a shelter, that the main reason for those families to be in a shelter, most of the cases is domestic violence. And I would also tell these people that being in a situation of abuse is, and going to a shelter is not necessarily a bad thing. Si tienes que tomar la decisión de cambiar tu vida y darle seguridad a tus hijos, hazlo. Piensa en ti, en la seguridad de tus hijos, que al final del día todo va a estar bien. If you have to make the decision of changing your life in order to provide security and safety to your children, do it. Think about you and the security of your children, because at the end of the day, everything is going to be all right. El shelter no es el fin, sino el comienzo. Somos fuertes y luchadoras. Being in a shelter is not the end, but just the beginning. We are strong and we are fighters. Thank you, Martha. Thank you so much. You're um, And yeah, let's turn then to our third panelist, um, to Kadisha. Um, what do you think, you know, based on your own experiences, is there anything that the government um, could have done to have prevented you from having to enter a shelter in the first place? Do you see any preventative measures that could have been taken there? I think there's a lot of things that could have been done. At the time when I initially went homeless is when I was eight months pregnant. At the time I was supposed to be on bed rest. And because of that means I couldn't work. At the time wasn't a lot of like, like now online jobs to do. I had to work on my feet. At the time I was working retail. 
honestly, that wasn't even enough money. But I think if they would have given a stipend or even housing for people who are pregnant, who needed help or, you know, who are even on bed rest, because there's a doctor telling me, get off your feet. I think that would have helped a lot for me to not go into shelter and be able to save up money other ways, or I got disability also, but it just wasn't enough to be able to get an apartment at the time. So I think giving us a little stipend until the baby's at least born or at least one or two years old, that would definitely help me not have gone into shelter. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Some more support for, for mothers and for, for pregnant and expecting women. Um, Rhonda, let's circle back to you um, on a similar question. You know, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced um, in finding and obtaining housing? Um, and are there things that made that experience easier or faster? So I didn't really have too hard of a time um, finding or obtaining housing. I got my housing through lottery. I had been in shelter almost 10 months, I think. And um, so it wasn't really hard. I got it through lottery. I think I got it because the workers at the, at the shelter that I was in, they actually did some work. Um, we don't have that in a lot of shelters, but the place that I was at, the housing specialist, the director, they all did the best that they can because one thing is my child was older than everyone else. He was about to age out. And that puts, that puts families who are in shelter with, with teenagers and especially those who are getting older in a whole separate um, predicament. So they really worked with me in order to, I believe, get me housing and so it wasn't really that hard. It was through lottery. I just got a phone call. They said, you're moving tomorrow. And I was in my apartment within the next week or two. Yeah, thank you. So, so you found your permanent housing through one of the city's housing lotteries, um, which can be difficult. Um, I would love to hear from the other panelists, from Kadisha and, and Martha. How did you um, eventually secure housing? What was that experience like for you both? Honestly, it was kind of hard because I feel like the, at the time, if you don't know, the workers at shelters go in and out a lot. And the person I initially got, she wasn't doing her job. I was giving her stuff at a the time they had the link and I qualified for it, but she wasn't taking my paperwork seriously. She wasn't doing her job. And I had a, got upset and I got, went to the director. So I was like, can you help me? Can something happen? I want to get out of the shelter. And um, other programs they had, I didn't qualify for, they told me. And then I eventually got into NYCHA and I'm so happy that, that I got into compared to a link program that I think is actually much better than um, that program. But um, the people at the shelter didn't know how to get me because I already was on NYCHA from 2014 and I got out of shelter 2018. But I was in, I got in the shelter in the middle of that time. So initially the people at the shelter didn't give me, tell me what I have to do to tell NYCHA that I'm in shelter because it puts you on a higher priority list. So I had to call NYCHA myself almost every day just to nag them and nag them like, what can I do? And then somebody finally helped me and that's how I got housing. How about you, Martha? Is there anything you want to share in terms of um, your journey to finding permanent housing and anything that would have maybe helped that process or sped it up for you? Martha, ¿nos podrías contar entonces cuál fue ese trayecto o ese recorrido que tuviste que, por el que tuviste que pasar para llegar a una vivienda permanente? ¿Cómo pasaste de una vivienda transicional a una vivienda permanente? ¿Nos podrías contar un poco al respecto? Bueno, yo estuve buscando muchas ayudas y 
y esperé cuatro años para conseguir un departamento de, de, housing, de housing Connect. Y, pero sí, toqué muchas puertas, fui a muchos, muchas organizaciones y siempre el ingreso siempre fue el problema que, que yo tuve. Pero al final, entonces yo tuve mi, mi departamento, pero fue una lucha, toqué muchas puertas para llegar ahí. So in general, course, it was a struggle. I had, I had to knock on many doors and I had to look for a lot of help in many different places. And I had to spend four years knocking on different doors in order to find finally this um, housing connect. But it was very difficult. And the hardest part of it was the enrollment, how to enter into these programs. It was very difficult for me. And it was a struggle that I had to live for four years. Fortunately, I was able to get into the program, but it was very difficult. I had to ask for many different kinds of help and look for many different people to, for them to help me out. Thank you all for sharing your insights on that. I appreciate it. Um, and now pivoting a little to the experience that being in shelter with children um, can be like. Um, and we'll, we'll stay with you, Martha, if that's okay. Um, you know, housing instability with children obviously adds another layer of stress and hardship to the experience. Um, what effects did housing instability have on your children's academic and social lives? And what was that like? Marta, vamos a continuar contigo entonces, si, si no tienes problema. Eh, y es hablar, vamos a hablar de la, del impacto que tiene el estar en un shelter con tus hijos. ¿Cómo fue ese impacto para tus hijos? Porque sabemos que eso puede desestabilizar mucho esa dinámica familiar. Entonces, ¿podrías contarnos, por favor, cómo fue esa experiencia con tus hijos? Sí, a mis hijos le afectó mucho porque yo las saqué de sus rutinas académicas y de su ambiente. Y entonces yo diría, yo diría las, que las escuelas deberían de ponerle un poquito más de atención a los niños que están en los, en los shelters y así deberían de darle más apoyos, tener gente como, psicolo, como psicólogos que puedan ayudar a los estudiantes. So yeah, it was difficult for my family. I had to take my children out of school. So they were taken away from their academic routines and their environment. So I would say that schools should pay, a close, should pay closer attention to those children who are living in a shelter because these children are suffering in silence. So I think that schools uh, should um, provide a further support for those, uh, for those children. They should have psychologists or some kind of support so they can help these students that are living this situation. Thank you. How about you, uh, Rondo or Kadisha? Anything you, either of you wanna add about the experience with children and having children while facing housing insecurity? Well, my daughter is very, very young at the time. She's going to daycare, but I could say that um, because I was getting denied at first from shelters, even in general, I didn't want to push her from daycare to daycare. You can't trust everybody with your kid because a lot of you hear a lot of scary stories at daycare centers that I trust that person. So at the time she's going to school in Brooklyn, I was going working in Manhattan and I had a shelter in Queens and I told them that's kind of far. And I was by LaGuardia by the landing and the travel itself was a lot. And I think it took a toll on her because every time we woke up in the morning, five o'clock in the morning to get to where we have to go, it can be a lot for a kid that young. And also it was a lot for me. And she's, by the time she gets home at eight, nine o'clock, she's also tired. So it was like, I didn't even get to spend time with her. And she, that quality time she didn't miss out on with me. I could say that um, that probably affected her just a little bit, 
but I try to make sure the weekends were filled with joy for us. Rhonda, any thoughts on you? I know you mentioned that your child was older at the time, but what was that experience like? Oh, I think you're still on mute. Or the audio, or maybe it's just me. Can you hear me now? Okay, going through shelter is really hardest on the children. See, as parents or grown-ups, let me put it like that, we can adapt a little bit more, but for the children, like um, Mr. Villa said, they suffer in silence. They don't know who to talk. They don't know how to talk to somebody that says what they're going through. So with my son, um, going to school, he had got a part-time job while we were in shelter, but when they found out that he lived in the neighborhood shelter, they dismissed him. So that's another issue that um, children face. Their social constructs, everything is off kilter, you know? So they really struggle. The struggle that I had with a teenager in, in shelter. And are there things that you think the, the city or the shelter system could have done to, to make it easier? It sounds like based on Kadisha's experience, location was a big factor, right? So keeping families, I know this is something that, that we've talked about a lot, is keeping families close to the child's school, for instance, and the shelter. Um, do any of you have any other thoughts on, you know, advice for either shelter providers or the city itself um, in terms of making that experience easier for parents? I'm sure we all have some kind of um, suggestion. It's just, do they listen? And that's, the, that's what it is. The city has to listen to people with lived experience because we know what's going on. We know how hard it is. We know what our children are going through. And one of the things like um, say, they do have liaisons at school, but they don't do their I'm not gonna say they don't do their job, but they could do their job a little bit better. Right. Just like all the shelter, the specialists, the directors, the case managers, everyone should be, and it should start. I didn't go through PATH, I went in another roundabout way, but it should start there because that's where families with children come in through. That's, that's the gate that we come in through, the PATH, and that's where supportive services and anything that can be done to help our children, that's where it should start. I second that. I really definitely, I went through PATH and it's not granted, I don't think it should be welcoming, but it should make you feel like it's gonna be okay. Going in there, feel like you're going to a jail cell. Like, what is my sentence now? How long am I gonna be here? How am I gonna get through it? Just keep your head down and keep moving because if you don't, you're gonna die by the waistline. So. I definitely second what Rhonda is saying. So obviously PATH being the intake process um, for shelter participants, yeah. So I've heard that that can be a, a pretty challenging and yeah, dispiriting process. Um, so that's interesting insight. Um, I would like to ask each of you, um, you know, from a personal level, um, and we'll start with Martha, if that's okay. What advice would you offer to, to someone, a fellow New Yorker who might be experiencing homelessness at the moment, um, particularly somebody with children? Y bueno, me gustaría entonces preguntarle, me gustaría iniciar con Marta, por 
un consejo, ¿qué consejo le darías a las personas que estén en condición de calle? ¿O qué consejo le podrías dar, bien sea a la ciudad o a las madres o a alguna persona que esté en esta situación? Yo le diría a aquellas madres que se encuentran sin hogar, que busquen ayuda, especialmente si están en una situación de violencia doméstica, que toquen puertas. So I'd say to those mothers who are in a homeless situation to look for help, especially for those women or for those people who are in a situation of domestic violence. They should, or I encourage those people to knock on doors, to look for help. Que estar en un shelter no es el fin, sino es el comienzo de una nueva vida. Que sigan luchando por la seguridad de, de los hijos. Si yo lo hice, tú lo puedes hacer también. Hazlo. I would say that being in a shelter is not the end, but the beginning of a new life. We should keep on fighting for the security and the safety of our children. If I did it, you can do it. So go ahead and do it. Thank you, Martha. Um, Rhonda, what would your advice be um, to, to someone who might be experiencing homelessness at the moment, a parent? Oh, we can't hear you. I think it's on mute. Sorry. So, so my advice is to just remember that being homeless is an interruption. You can't stay there. You can't sit there and you can't stop. Um, I would tell them that you actually, the person, actually makes it as easy or as hard as they want it to be. You know, um, I, would I would say to find all the help that you can get. I would say avail yourself of every program, every resource. Keep talking. You keep talking. <laughs> it, it is the squeaky wheel that gets the oil. Um, I would tell them that you have a voice. I would say use it. I would say that being, yes, we know that being homeless with children is a hardship. I would also tell them, as I heard an 11-year-old so eloquently put it, that we are not the problem. You are not the problem. So just keep moving. Put one foot in front of the other. Take the couple of days that you need to get acclimated into this shelter situation that you, go, that you are going through and then get up, put your big girl panties on, and let's get to work because that's what it is about. You have to do the work. If you find yourself in a shelter situation, you're going to have to do some work in order to get out of it. If you want housing, it's there. You have to, you have to work at it. You really do have to work at it and get the people that are in place to work for you. Um, I think the most poignant thing that I heard while I was a shelter monitor with the Coalition for the Homeless is there was a, a young boy, he was 10, and he wanted to be a scientist. And in shelter, that's where dreams are deferred in shelter. That's why I tell parents, please don't sit still. But he was 10 years old, he wanted to go and be a scientist, and he had the opportunity to go round trip to NASA. And the shelter told him that he could not participate because the family had to be in the unit by 10 o'clock. This is something that is going on. You know, the children are not being able to get 
to, to follow their dreams and their passions. So that's what I would tell a parent is to just make sure that you do the work, get up every morning, do what you have to do, make sure that everything that you do is for your children. That's what I would say. Yeah, I, I have heard that, that things like the, the time restrictions um, obviously can be very trying. I hope that student got to attend um, the NASA thing. Um, Kadisha, do you have any thoughts on, um, you know, specific, I would love to ask each of you this, um, specific sort of programs or support services that were helpful to you? It sounds like each of you have talked about the need to really be sort of proactive and advocate for yourself because it seems like that assistance can be sometimes hard to come by. Are there specific supports that you all found most helpful or things that you think other people might be able to seek out um, that you would advise them on? What I tell people now, um, certain programs weren't, because my, my housing specialist wasn't working with me, I couldn't even get into. But I think from what I see other people's experiences, the Housing Connect is pretty good. Um, they have the lottery, but just to be on top of that when you do those kind of things. NYCHA takes forever. So it's like, honestly, a lot of programs because they have waiting lists, it seems like it's hard to get into. I think City Fest is probably, to me, the easiest one to get into compared to other things because I was on a waiting list for NYCHA for four years. So it's like, um, a lot of the systems seem like they're very broken and they need some helping out and they mean we have the space. I feel like New York City has so much places they can put people, but they're kind of honestly just lazy dragging their feet to get people into these housing. And then like example, for inspections for certain um, lottery things, it takes them a long time to even get into that. And with Corona, it's taking even longer because people on my channel that do YouTube tell me, I did my inspection this time, things are not happening. So that means something is broken along the line. Like we have all these programs, but is the program's really helping the people or you just putting a new name on a program saying, oh, we have this, we can help you, but yet you're not helping anybody. If you help out of everybody in the shelter, if it's a thousand people and you help 10 out of those a thousand, yes, the, the 10 is grateful, but what happened to the rest of the people who are left behind and is struggling and going through depression in shelter because the system is broken and the system needs help. So um, I think the programs are nice to have, but a lot of them are not working the way they're supposed to be working. Um, I don't know if it's because of the workers or people just don't understand how to get in or what it is, or they just don't want us to get the programs, but a lot of the things are broken. Martha, how about you? Were there any particular services or supports that you found most helpful that you would advise um, other women experiencing homelessness to seek out? Marta, ¿tienes algún consejo, alguna recomendación especial para aquellas mujeres que están en situación de calle que te hayan servido a ti? ¿Qué crees que le pueda servir a otras mujeres que se encuentran en esta condición? Bueno, le diría a esas personas que, que, que siempre busquen, busquen ayuda y que siempre, siempre piensen en sus hijos y en la seguridad de ellas y, y de sus hijos. So I'd say to those women that they have to think about their children. They need to look for help because uh, what matters the most is their children. So they need to think about their children and about their safety. So please do not stop looking for help. And Rhonda, do you, do you have any specific programs or supports that you found most useful? I know you mentioned that, you know, it was a matter of like really speaking up and seeking out um, different supports and being, like you said, the squeaky wheel. Was there anything that that helped the most? I know it sounds like, you know, there's probably issues we could delve into with kind of a number of, 
of programs, but were any kind of most useful to you or, or um, you know, things you might advise other, other women to seek out? So pretty much because I had been homeless in places other than New York City, I knew what, when I came back home, what I was looking for. Um, the first place that I actually went to was Coalition for the Homeless because they have a program called First Step. And that program is what really pushed me out the door. Um, it really got me into activism. It got me into advocacy. It helped me uh, to learn how to stand up for myself. You know, it's a training program for women, which is really what did it. That's what did it. And after that, it was Madison Strategies and Bottomless Closet, all of that, you know, together. Um, the program that I really think needs some help is home base, because when my housing became unstable, uh, they didn't have an eviction program preparation set up for somebody like me. I was on a voucher and they had no answers for me and it looked like I was gonna lose my apartment. But with the work that Councilman Levin and Catherine Chapin, all of them did to help me, um, I was able to stay. So it's programs like that. The city really needs to reevaluate everything, everything concerning homeless. They really need to revamp it they need to deconstruct it and build it up again from the infrastructure, like all these dilapidated buildings we got. How about we just go inside, gut all of that, you know, and that's what they need to do with, with the um, program, the system of homelessness in New York City. Thank you, Rhonda, I appreciate that. Um, one thing that I think comes up a lot in these discussions is this idea of like aftercare services. So support services exactly. that can help people who have come out of shelter um, stay in their permanent housing. Is there any, any thoughts that any of you might have on um, whether or not you received those types of services, if they were helpful or what the city might be able to do to, to better support people sort of after the shelter experience? I personally think, example, when you live in shelter, you're supposed to get a furniture allowance. I didn't get mine because I had storage, but I never had any furniture. So it's like, I think no matter how long you were in the shelter, and I was my first time getting an apartment, long you're in the shelter, I think you should be leaving with a certain amount of money, especially if you have a kid, because you need furniture. Even if you have a bed from before, you still need a dining room table. You need chairs to sit on. You can't sit on the floor, which I had to do for a while until I got myself together and went to certain places to get certain services. So I think um, a lot of different things you need money for. It doesn't come out of thin air. And when you have a child, they, they need a lot. And when you're a parent, you need a lot also. So I think certain kind of funds should be given when you leave shelter. When you do certain programs like um, FAPS and stuff, they need to help you get on top of it before the, like the, the, like the, re, the, the reapplication part comes up. They shouldn't wait too late. They should do like in the middle to kind of help you out. I think they need to have um, certain counseling. If you're a first time going in an apartment, certain things you might not even know, how to do broker's fee, how to do these things. Knowledge is power. Like that's not a joke. If you don't know certain things to help you out, you're going to be just falling down on the waistline. And I think just having the knowledge and the funds to help you in the first, even the first year could be very helpful with a lot of these programs. So I think that would be, a great way for them to kind of help people and not even get back into the shelter. Because so most times people are repeat offenders because they didn't know what to do the first time. So if you help them, 
they can definitely get their life back on track the way they need to be. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Um, Martha, do you have any thoughts on um, sort of that, that idea of aftercare or support that could be offered to, to women and families after they leave shelter? So once they're in permanent housing, but to make sure that they can stay there based on your experiences? Marta, ¿tienes alguna idea respecto a cuál serían ese tipo de servicios que se tienen que seguir prestando una vez hayas dejado el shelter? ¿Qué tipo de servicios o qué tipo de apoyo se necesita más allá después de haber dejado el shelter atrás? Sé que sé, yo diría que deberían de, de seguir dando apoyo a, los, a las madres y a los hijos, especialmente psicología, consejería, para así uno poder um, seguir adelante, porque a veces cuando tú sales del shelter, a veces ellos como que se olvidan de ti y de los, de los, de los niños. So I would say that uh, it is important to continue with this specific kind of support to mothers and kids, specifically kids, in regards of psychologists or some counseling, because sometimes what happens is when once you're out of the shelter, it seems like they forget about you. So it is important to continue with these kind of services to continue providing this specific support to both mothers and also kids. Thank you so much. Um, we have about 10 minutes left in our discussion. Um, I have a question also from the audience that I'm gonna ask. Um, thank you guys for tuning in and throwing your questions in the Q&A section. Um, so Anthony wanted to know, how were you able, um, and maybe we'll start with you, Rhonda. I know you, you said you had an older child, so this may be, might've been a different experience, but how were you able to explain homelessness to your children when you were going through that experience? And what were those conversations like? So, <laughs> because my child was older, <laughs> he understood. He knew that we didn't have a place to live. I think what made it really real for him and is when, is when we had to go to the shelter and they gave us a metro card and it was like, one o'clock in the morning and we had to drag our um our parcels through the train station in order to get to the shelter where we would be for 10 days to be assessed and then and I, that's another thing is that i know for parents with you know they give you this 10-day thing and kevin can move them in 10 days once you get them they like settled and then have to jump up and move to another place. That's a problem. That's hard to explain to, to a child, um, no matter how old they are. You know, so you talked about aftercare. I talked about how supportive services should start at PATH. It should, and aftercare should not end until at least that five-year renewal thing that you get with the voucher they say that you know it's a five-year thing well during that five years people need supportive services we may not need them as much as we needed them when we first started there should be some kind of transition where you ease out of it but it should always be in place you know so that's the hardest part about explaining homelessness to to a kid little kids are different they'll roll with you but when they're older and they got a voice, 
they want to know and they don't understand. And that's, that's an issue. That was my issue. Sorry, thank you, Martha, uh, Rhonda. Kadisha, did you have anything you wanted to add in terms of, you know, explaining homelessness or talking the situation through with children? Well, my daughter was very young, but I do the podcast and I get to into, I interviewed like this one child and he, at the time he was nine. So I think depending on what age you have a child at, I think it's easier to kind of explain what it is. They just don't, and this particular person, their ceiling actually fell down on them. So they understand why they couldn't go home and why they had to be in the shelter. So it, I think it depends on how it happened. If it's more like a natural disaster or something like that, they can understand why this is happening. And to them in their mind, it's going to be temporary. But we, you know, with shelter, people stay up to 18 months or more in the shelter. So it, um, they don't realize how long they have to stay in the shelter to even get it together. Sometimes it can happen because of eviction. A kid might not understand that their parents didn't have the money to pay for it unless they were living a lifestyle of really off nothing so it, I think it all depends on the age and um break it down and tell them it's not always going to be this way and that um problems do happen and this will make you stronger that I, I can tell you that from an adult you know way it did make me stronger and now I'm able to help other people every day because people on YouTube always question me and ask me how it is or on Instagram so I'm able to help somebody you have to go through struggles sometimes to help be able to help somebody else who comes after you and I'm happy that I was a person to kind of be that for some families out there. Thank you, Kadisha. And yet, just to repeat, the uh, the podcast is Hear Our Voices, for those of you who are interested in checking that out. And you can get it on Apple Podcasts and all your, I think, normal podcast streaming areas. Um, well, thank you all so much. We have about five minutes left. So I'll ask my final question of each, each of you. Um, and I'll start with you, Martha. Um, Anything that, is there anything that you would like, um, obviously we have a new mayor coming in in January, Eric Adams will have almost an entirely new city council. Um, what would you like the next administration um, and our future elected officials who are taking office in January to know um, or anything that you would wanna share with them about potential solutions to family homelessness? Marta, teniendo en cuenta que en enero tenemos una nueva administración y que tenemos nuevos concejales y nuevos nuevo alcalde, ¿cuál crees que sería ese mensaje que les quisieras dar a, a este nuevo gabinete respecto a, a estas personas que están en situación de sin techo o, se, o en situación de calle? Desde tu experiencia, ¿qué crees que sería importante decirles o qué mensaje les dejarías a ellos? Yo le diría al, al nuevo alcalde y concejales que pensaran más en las madres solteras. Yo esperé más de cuatro años para conseguir mi departamento promedio de la Lotería Housing Connect y el problema era siempre el ingreso. So, I would say to the new major and the new counselors that they should think about more um, the single mothers because I had to wait more than four years in order to find my department through the Lottery of Housing Connect. And the problem, as I said before, it was always how to enroll the program. Ganaba muy poco para calificar un departamento. El gobierno debería de tener más en cuenta las madres solteras que trabajamos día a día para salir adelante. At the time, I earned too little to qualify for a department for my own place. So the government should have in mind those single moms that work day to day to actually move forward, to, to make a living out of what we do. 
Entonces, diría que considerar a aquellas madres que trabajan duro para sacar a sus hijos adelante. So I'd say that they have to consider those single moms that work hard for them to have their families put together and to, to actually bring their children up. Martha, I appreciate that. Um, how about you, Rhonda? What would you want the next mayor um, and our future city council to know? So what I would want our new administration to do is to stop talking. I was in a meeting and a commissioner was on the job for 30 years and nothing has changed in 30 years. Stop talking and start doing something. I would want them to, um, like I said, we're not the problem. So stop trying to fix this with acronyms and labels and coming up with pretty new statements to cover up the ugliness of homelessness and family homelessness. Stop talking, start doing something. You know, um, we keep talking about eradicating homelessness and the only way to do that is to get families housing. We need them the support of services. We need uh, the support of services that are contracted by the city. Okay, we need you. Um, I would like the new administration to consider making families a priority. I would like them to listen to the recommendations of the Family Homelessness Coalition. I would like them to fix this system from the inside out. They have the opportunity to fix this. It can be new. Just like COVID was a novel and new virus that hit, we have a whole new administration that could come in and just revamp everything. Um, I would like them to focus on the families that will build a strong community. I would like them to make it about the people that it is affecting. Families are the fabric of our city, of our city, and the most affected demographic. Families are the voices of homelessness. Us three women, we are the faces of homelessness. I want you to hear the voices of us women, see us as the mothers of children who are growing up in an institution with invisible bars. The children could have a could have a, could face a future. These children could face a future of homelessness, long-term mental health trauma, incarceration, even death. Cemeteries are full of people who have dreamed but were not able to accomplish it. I would like the new mayor, the city council, and other elected officials to reevaluate everything related to homelessness. This city, we view the rules. We know what works. Please listen to us. We are the persons with lived experience and we can actually help you do what needs to be done in this city. That's what I want them to know. Thank you for that. And Kadisha, any final thoughts um, as we wrap up on what you would like the next mayor or city council to know? I think just don't make new programs off the bat. Fix what you already have, but they have a lot of programs. I think they need to just not just do things, listen to the people who had the experience. You have to open up your ears. We're, we're shouting it at you, but you're not hearing us. So you need to understand what we're saying, how we get a group of people together who have lived this experience 
and that will help you to better navigate the um, whole thing. You get mothers, you get a single man, you get a whole group of people who have different experiences in this journey and they could tell you where the problem is, I promise you. They can tell you where it is, all you do have to do is listen. It might not be easy to change it, it might take time, but show us that you care and that you do want to change the system for families and people who are homeless in New York City. That's all. Thank you. Thank you so much. I want to um, thank our three panelists again for sharing their insights and their expertise. We so appreciate it. Thank you to Rhonda, Martha, and Kadisha. Um, it was really great to hear from you all. Um, thank you everyone who sent questions in. Um, to transition to the next part of our program, I'm now excited to introduce Elizabeth Ginsburg, the Public Policy and External Affairs Program Director for Enterprise, um, which is a, an FHC Family Homelessness Coalition co-convener. Um, I'll hand it over. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much, Jean-Marie, um, and thank you, Rhonda, Kadisha, and Martha for taking the time today to shine a light on the challenges faced by those experiencing homelessness. It's frankly unacceptable that uh, we've created this system of barriers um, to accessing permanent housing. I think one of the many things we can take away, and uh, Rhonda was just sharing this, but we, we know a lot about how to combat family homelessness. We have the tools. What we need is the commitment from our government leaders to put these tools to use. Uh, and so FHC urges you all to join us in this fight to end family homelessness. And we encourage our new leaders to do right by these children and families. Um, and I, we are, we're going to be joined by Steve Levin, but um, he might not have joined yet. Um, and so, you know, we put together I think, this. I think Steve just joined us, Councilmember. Oh, <laughs> oh, wonderful. Okay. Um, so just quickly to, to introduce, um, Steve Levin has been a longtime champion for families facing homelessness. Uh, Steve has served as a council member from 2000, since 2010, um, and as chair of the City Council General Welfare Committee. Many of us have had the pleasure of working with Steve on these matters. Um, so we're honored that you're able to join us shortly before your city council tenure ends. Uh, so Steve, I will hand it over to you. Thank you, Elizabeth. Um, I just wanna thank all of the panelists um, for, um, for telling your story today, for, um, for your perseverance um, uh, in your own personal lives and, um, and for being advocates um, to make um, these systems work better. Um, you know, and it's, it's reflecting a little bit on, um, on my tenure in the council. I've been a council member for 12 years and chair of the general welfare committee for, for eight years. Um, and, you know, changing systems is not easy and um, systems have their own inertia. And so they, they are doing something a certain way and, uh, and they kind of can, you know, tend to stay moving in that direction um, uh, unless, unless there's something that pushes them off of that course. Um, and, um, and so, you know, I think that the the work of advocacy is absolutely essential um, because it it it's that's the the spark that gets um, 
politicians, elected officials to pay attention, um, you know, commissioners and deputy mayors to pay attention. Um, and, you know, and it has to be, you know, it, it's going to, it, it always will take a lot of perseverance. I mean, I, I think of, um, I think I spent, you know, a good chunk of the last 12 years um, uh, really just focused on vouchers. I mean, it took, you know, I it was my second year in office when they uh, uh, killed the Advantage program at the state level, um, spent the next three years advocating for Advantage to be restored. De Blasio administration came in, fought for the create, you know, for, for them to create a, a voucher program, then the voucher program wasn't functioning properly um, and spent the last five years fighting for them to increase the, the voucher amount. And finally, we were able to do that this year uh, with intro 146, which raised the city FEVS voucher. And then just last week, Governor Hochul signed legis state legislation to raise the FEPS voucher level to, to fair market rent. Um, but it's, you know, it, it has struck me and how um, apathetic the system can be. And I think that, that that's what a lot of the panelists spoke to is that, is how do we um, direct the conversation long-term so that, so that this, the public and policymakers see that this is what's happening in real people's lives. It's in, you know um, one of the one of the panelists mentioned just the acronyms on a piece of paper, you know, that is they it's meaningless unless it is really affecting people's lives. And I look at you know the one the one thing that I look at like as a just a point of data um, that really um, continues to make me upset is the length of stay in shelter, the average length of stay, whether it's for families, whether it's for single adults or adult families, the length of stay has continued to go up and up and up over the years. And it's, you know, it's well over um, uh, a year, you know, 400 days or 500 days, depending on the family configuration. And like that is people's, that's, that's the length of time that a child spends in shelter. That is, I have two kids, you know, my son is, um, you know, two and a half. So he's lived 700 days. If a child is in shelter for 500 of their first 700 days, like what is, that's, an, that's, that's, that's formative life experience. And I think until the city is willing to put the resources into, into really changing that and getting and saying that is a that is a failing on the part of the city. That is a failing on the part of the city. And unless the city is going to say we're going to, that is what we're going to focus on. That's we are going to move families into permanent housing and individuals into permanent housing. You know, like as and make that a top priority and cut down on the red tape and cut down on. Um, you know, make sure that there's a seamless system where people can qualify for a voucher immediately, or if they can't qualify for a voucher because they're over income, that there's an alternative that's right there for them and it's ready-made and it's ready to go. Um, and I think that it, there's just, there is a, there's a lot more to do to continue to get that to be the focus. And so I just, I, I think that this panel was fantastic. I think the Family Homeless Coalition has been amazing. <clears throat> 
over the years at putting forward, you know, workable solutions um, that are achievable and, uh, and, 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 and putting the focus on that. And I think that that is, uh, that's my one hope for the future is that this, this coalition obviously continues to do its good work, um, but that, uh, you know, as a, as a city, uh, we, we focus on what's really happening in people's lives and what are real solutions and how to get there. I just want to thank you all so much for, um, for allowing me to, to, to speak a little bit. And thank you for all of the partnerships over the last 12 years. Um, it's been, um, you know, it's been the honor of a lifetime to be, uh, to be part of this working with you all. Thank you. Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, thank you to everyone for attending our forum today. We hope the conversation has made clear what uh, our next city and state leaders must do to end family homelessness uh, and the real urgency of this matter. So to all of the elected and government officials in attendance this morning, we look forward to working with you in the new year to move these solutions forward. And thank you again to everyone and have a great holiday and new year. So guys, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. I hope you took a lot away from it and I hope you'll be able to help your own communities and help the people around you. Remember, don't forget to advocate for yourself. We are important people of society too when we're homeless and you can make a difference and your voice is important. So come back for the next episode on Hear Our Voices. Thank you for listening. Bye.